You're listening to episode 313 of the Membership Guys podcast. Today I'm talking about something that for many people is an uncomfortable subject. However, it's something that is at the heart of everything that we do. That's right, I'm talking about money, particularly the way people think about money, their mindset around money in the membership world. This is going to be a bit of an odd episode probably because I'm really just sharing random thoughts and musings around this topic Uh, but I think it's something worth talking about because it just doesn't get discussed in the right way enough especially not within the online membership world. So let's dive in and let's talk money. You're listening to the Membership Guys podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here's your host, Mike Morrison. Well, hello there. Welcome to episode 313 of the Membership Guys podcast. I'm your host, Mike Morrison. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Today's episode is a bit of a strange one. It's kind of been on the list for me for a long, long time. So obviously, as we plan out the podcast, we have a list of any ideas or things that I might want to talk about at some point on the show. This has been on the list probably longer than any other topic. And the reason that it's taken until episode 313 to do this is that for a lot of people, talking about money just isn't something they like to do. It's an uncomfortable topic. People have an odd relationship with money for various different reasons. And people tend to be wildly opposite ends of the spectrum. You have people who just love money. They love talking about how much they have, or they love complaining about how much they don't have. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who just completely shut down as soon as the M word comes up. Money is just an unfortunate thing that they need to deal with in the world of business. But, you know, I thought it was worth having that discussion, having uh, some thoughts shared in today's show. Not just about money, but I think it's largely about mindset, how we treat money, as well as some of the peculiarities in the membership world specifically when it comes to the money side of what we do. So, being English, I think I fall in that stereotype, stiff upper lip, um, and particularly when it comes to money. You know, it's not it's just not something that you talk about in mixed companies. It's almost that little bit crass sometimes to talk about money so much. You know, the way that you see people talk about money online. And I think because I've kind of been around the online space since the late 90s, I've seen so many people who center their whole existence online around money, who are just constantly talking about how much they make and how much they'll help you make. And so much of it is scammy, so much of it is sleazy, a lot of it is lies. And I think a lot of you listening to this will have been exposed to that sort of stuff too. And so certainly when we start the membership guys and, you know, we start talking more to a larger audience, I think there's always that thing in my brain of I didn't want to fall into that stereotypical online marketing um, corner where, you know, it's all about, hey, look how much money you could make if you did this. Or 
one of our members has just implemented this one course and now they're a mega millionaire. You can be like that too. I've had such an aversion to being seen as one of those types of people because with what I do with online memberships, the first kind of uprising in online memberships that happened in the 2000s was really within that old school kind of skeevy internet marketing world where, you know, they they weren't usually called memberships, they were called continuity programs. And there was a lot of dodgy tactics and dodgy business practices used to, you know, get someone on the hook and, you know, keep charging them, keep charging them, make sure they don't realize they're still being charged. You know, that sort of stuff was ripe in the, the mid-2000s. And so knowing that, being around and seeing that and kind of being disgusted and put off by that, certainly informed the way in which we we showed up i think when we started the membership guys brand and the podcast we've never put money at the forefront of our marketing we never make it about hey you could have these riches and you know we're gonna we're gonna make you successful look at all the money you could earn we've always focused more on the stuff that honestly to us is more important the freedom the flexibility the fulfillment that a membership can bring and you know the money side of things is a conduit to that. It's a it's a route to that. It's a path to that. It's not the be all end all. So yeah, again, this is kind of I told you this would be a bit of a strange episode. It's almost more of a, a stream of consciousness thoughts about money, but it is something that I I've remained mindful of in how we talk about it and how we utilize the money side of memberships in our marketing because we never never want to be those people who make those snake oil kind of promises about we're going to change your world and make you rich and all you need to do is follow our simple five-step process because we hate those kind of people and um, we don't want our audience to be exposed to that kind of rubbish. So that just kind of explains why um, why this episode's come about, I think, because I think it's still worth talking and focusing on the money side of memberships um, from a few different angles that maybe other people in this space, other people in the online world don't talk about. So the first thing I want to talk about is probably something you've heard about um, and maybe something that you're more clued up on and more mindful of um, than I am. And this is the idea of money blocks. So this has kind of become um, quite a popular term I think around the coaching and the personal development world, uh, the concept of money blocks. And this is really the idea that there's stuff in your own head, stuff in your own past and your world, your experiences that skew your perspective on money. Now, you might actually look at what I've been talking about for the last few minutes and kind of say, yeah, that is an example of a money block. But I don't actually think that my perspective on money is, has been skewed by the practices within the online membership world. It's more a case of it's uh, that stuff making me a little more wary and mindful about how people use the money side of things in marketing. But money blocks, they're the kind of the things you tell yourself about money that influence the part of players in your life your attitude your approach to it and often influences it in a negative way so quite often you'll see this um, from people who simply don't think that it's possible for them to earn a certain amount they can't envision 
having a, a five-figure business, six-figure business, seven-figure business. It's just so far out of their reach. And so they tell themselves, okay, this is something other people do. This is something other people are capable of, but not me. That's not somewhere I'd ever be able to get to. It's just not possible for me. And it can be very difficult if you're even if you're self-employed or you're you're working a nine till five and you're making, you know, a mid or low to mid five figure salary per year, so a couple of thousand a month, it can be very, very difficult to envision a scenario in which it would ever be possible for you to make forty thousand, fifty thousand per month, a hundred thousand a year, a million a year. It can often just feel just so far away, so far removed from anything that is feasible within your world that you convince yourself that it's just not an option for you. But actually, you know, when you reverse engineer some of these numbers and you look at it and say, okay, so a $50,000 month, like for a lot of people, a $50,000 year or a $50,000 salary would, would be beyond their imagination for the the circumstance they're in and certainly you know earlier on in my life i came from a, a, a not a an affluent background you know i don't think i knew a single person until my gosh maybe my mid-20s who earned fifty thousand uh, a year that's just the world that i was from people just didn't make that kind of money that was ridiculous money but fifty thousand a month like that's crazy that's insane. People, you just can't do that. That's for the fat cats in the big suits in, you know, in big offices in London. That's ridiculous. You can't make $50,000 in a month, surely. But when you start reverse engineer some of these numbers, uh, particularly in the membership world, and you look at, okay, to make $50,000, what would that look like in terms of how many members would I need? So if you're charging $50 a month, that's 1,000 members. It's still a lot, but it's not insane numbers, right? It's not astronomical. It's still, if you're just starting out, probably a way off for you, but you can chart a path to that. When you're dealing with a number like a 1,000, maybe you're sitting there with 50 or 100 members. That's not such an astronomical place to get to. You can chart a course to that even if it's spread over the space of several years, like 1,000 members is reachable. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands of members. We're not talking about 50,000 members. It's 1,000. So you could reverse engineer that and kind of think, okay, so if I'm sitting here with a membership that's got 100 members and they're paying me, you know, $50 uh, per month, if I want to get to 1,000 and I want to get there, over the space of three years and I need 300 new members per year so what does that then break down to so 300 members a year if I've got 100 already I need another 900 to get to a thousand so that's 300 members a year if I'm thinking three years and that's another thing like it, it is going to seem astronomical if you're looking at it okay today I've got 100 members and if I was looking to have a thousand members and make fifty thousand dollars, like wow, that's such a big jump to to make today. Like if you if you'd literally not given yourself the frame of reference that you know you can take time to build towards that. Three hundred members a year, 
breaks down to 25 members a month, which breaks down to four or five members per week, depending on, you know, how long your month is, which is less than one member a day. It's one member every weekday and no signups on a weekend. Now, you might not be there yet, but you might be getting two members a week right now. And how big a leap is it from two members a week to five members a week? It's not astronomical. It's really not astronomical. And so even if you go from two members a week to one, sorry, two members to three members a week, then that's one big step in closing the the gap. And it's such a more manageable, realistic, feasible, doable, achievable, almost kind of like, is that it? Is that the, the only difference I need to make? So when you reverse engineer the stuff that seems impossible, that seems like it's out your reach, seems unfeasible, you realize that actually it's all just about little and often making incremental progress over a longer period of time. And the great thing is memberships, they are a long-term business model. And so if you're at 50000 a year and you're thinking, man, the idea of getting to 50000 a month is just insane. I'd love to believe that my membership could get there, but it's just not doable for someone like me. It's just not doable from the position I'm in. If you start to break it down, you start to reverse and engineer things, you realize it's not quite as impossible as it seems, but we often don't allow ourselves to even contemplate that. Often we don't even think, okay, let's just imagine this was possible. What would it take? What would it mean? How would I need to change to get there? What are the actual numbers? Most people don't get that far because they've got that block. They've got that block in their brain that tells them, no, this isn't for you. This level isn't for you. That amount of money isn't for you. Another big money block is guilt. It's guilt over earning money. So if your membership's starting to do well, you're building traction and you're, you're rapidly on the way to 50000 a year, do you feel good about that or do you feel guilty about that? Some people feel amazing about that. Some people feel both. A lot of this, I think, depends on your background, depends on your upbringing, depends on the people around you. There's that famous quote from Jim Rohn that, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if those five people are, again, from, from a world in which people don't make this amount of money, making too much money is, is crass, it's obscene, it's almost impolite, it's not fair on the other people who aren't making as much money. If you're around people where that's their mindset, then you absorb that mindset too. And even as you change you still kind of have that as almost an albatross around your neck telling you that you should feel bad once you reach a certain level of success or you should feel guilty about wanting to reach that level of success. Man, if you're making $50,000 per year, do you know how many people would kill for that to be their salary? And you're trying, you want to make $50,000 a month? That's sickening. How dare you? This is the mindset people can get into. It's that guilt, guilt because you're doing well, guilt because you're ambitious, guilt because you want to make more money. And again, so much of this is your upbringing. No, this isn't going to apply to everyone. I've got no doubt some people will be listening to this and thinking, really? People feel bad about making money? Sweet, delicious money? 
<laughs> Some people are just built like that, right? But a lot of people, you get that voice in your head, particularly if you came from an upbringing or a life where you didn't have money. I suffer from this. I absolutely suffer from this. I enjoy the money that we make. I'm proud of it. I'm ambitious. But I also feel that pang of guilt. Because I came from a, a, a poor area in England, in the northeast, an ex-mining village, um, long after the mines had shut down. Pretty much everyone that I knew was on welfare. That's, that's just how it was. If you had a job, you usually weren't telling the government about it because you'd, <laughs> you used to call it being on the fiddle. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just worlds apart from where I am today. Single parent upbringing. Most people didn't get out of that situation. Most, pretty much all my friends, actually, who, um, who I grew up with, they're still in that village. Some have jobs, they're, they're low paid manual work you know my family aren't rich never been rich still not it's not like you know we all kind of came up together that can breed a lot of guilt it can lead to you not wanting or feeling like you're a bad person and you've changed it can lead to you really wanting to hide the fact that you're happy that your business is growing and making more money that guilt can be a huge huge money block because it can it, it can stifle you it can get in the way of you pursuing growth within your business. So you just need to be mindful of that. You just need to, you know, have that have a word with yourself. I know that sounds pretty direct, but you just you just need to know that this is something that can be a limiting factor, that you've got nothing to feel guilty about. That you shouldn't feel bad about the fact that you're doing well. And if your guilt comes from a place or that stems from a place where you had a, a, a poor upbringing, not poor as in poor quality, because actually my childhood days were some of the happiest of my life, but poor as in you did not have money. Money wasn't something that people talked about because no one had it. Then getting out of that isn't a bad thing. You don't have an obligation to anyone else to, to stay in that place just so no one feels bad that they haven't achieved the success that you've achieved. So you can't let that guilt be a block. Part of me kind of thinks that it's still, you know, having a, a little measure of that guilt is good for staying humble, for keeping your feet on the ground, for never forgetting where you came from. I think it's good for, uh, even what we talked about in the beginning of the show, it's good for those things like, like I went through where I'm looking at some of the ways in which people talk about money online and I think my experiences and I think, you know, um, the, the upbringing that I had and even that little pang of guilt around, there is a point at which it just becomes a little bit too much, right? You don't want to manipulate, you don't want to misrepresent anything. So I think having that little bit of guilt is good for giving you, for, for giving you that little bit of a sanity check every now and then. But you can't let it get further than that. It can't be a block. Again, a similar, a similar money block is the belief that you don't deserve to be successful. You don't deserve to make money. Now, obviously that's going to come from a, a place of self-esteem issues, low self-esteem. Maybe you've been told you don't deserve this or maybe it's just, you know, your own conscience, your own inner voice beating you up. But again, who says what anyone deserves? 
You deserve what you work for. And that doesn't mean that someone who works 100 hours a week deserves more than someone who works 40 hours a week. We're not talking about your output having to match your input. That's just not how it is. But if you've made something happen, if the decisions you've made have resulted in the betterment of your situation and you making more money than you were before, then you've earned it. You've created those circumstances. You've taken the steps, the cause and effect. You're allowed it. You're allowed to enjoy it. It's yours. If it's been instigated, if it's been generated by you, you deserve it. And if you don't deserve it, who does? Because if this money has been created, but you don't deserve it, okay, look at how this money has come about, this growth has come about. If you're not the one who deserves it, then who should you be giving it to? Who deserves it more than you in this circumstance, in this context? And I think that ties into another one of those money blocks. And I'm going to move on from the money block shortly. But the idea that money is bad, that only greedy people pursue the generation of money. Now, there's absolutely the bigger conversation here about, you know, is it right that billionaires exist? We're not talking about this. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm not expecting anyone listening to this is a billionaire. I don't think Bezos or Musk or Gates or subscribe to the Membership Guys podcast. But hell, if I'm wrong, guys, give me a shout out on Twitter um, just for the hell of it. But that's not going to happen, right? But the fact that conversation exists, sometimes you'll look at that and be like, you know what, they've got a point. Maybe Elon Musk shouldn't have all that money. Uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have the six-figure business that I'm running. It's worlds apart. You don't fall into that same kind of category. And so, yeah, the whole money is bad, tax the rich, eat the rich, all that sort of stuff, I think can foster um, in entrepreneurs and business people the idea that money and greed go hand in hand. But they don't. Money is a tool. Money is a resource. Money is something that makes other things possible. We're not going down the Scrooge McDuck route of having a big old vault full of gold coins that you dive into we're not hoarding this stuff money's a tool it's a resource it buys you time it buys you ease it buys you it's not guaranteed to it can buy you peace of mind it can enable you to make other people's lives easier it can enable you to hire other people to put money in their pocket so they can put food on their table so they can improve their life it's a resource right it makes possible whatever you want to apply it to and a lot of what you might want to apply to can be good. And using money for good reasons isn't isn't a rarity. You know, it's not like, you know, if you decide that you want to donate some money to charity or, you know, you're going to hire some staff and you're going to pay them above market rate because your business can't afford it. You know, that doesn't that's not such a rarity. You're not a unique snowflake in in doing that. Um, so, you know, it's not money is inherently bad, but handful of people might do good things like money is just money money's it's a tool it's a it's a resource some people have more some people have less you can't control that it's not greedy to want to make more because the more you make the more you can do with it if you want to be altruistic if you want to donate everything you earn above a certain amount of charity you can do that you can absolutely do that and therefore 
you're totally like you know it's it's not greedy you want to make a whole load more money and then you put it somewhere that you think it'll be put to to good use the more money you make the more tax you end up paying so that goes into society that gets used by the government on whatever programs again not always good but you know it's not just again it's not just massing up in this nuclear bunker where you keep all your gold coins money's not bad money's not greedy you're not greedy you're not a bad person for wanting to pursue it so if you're finding that's a block and again a lot of this will come from the people around you it'll come from your upbringing those attitudes towards money i think usually run deep there's a source of that so you really need to examine why you think that and quite often you can get that impression that that feeling that sense that belief that money is a bad thing and you know only scumbags and greedy people care about making money that can come in if you've been struggling you know if you've been grinding at a lower a lower income level if you've seen you know you've worked in companies before and you've seen people who were terrible at their job fail upwards and get rewarded for it with bonuses and salaries you know you you get to a you can reach a place of bitterness where you associate money with greed money with undesirable people but people are people People can be bad. People can be greedy. Are you bad? Are you greedy? If the answer is no, then the pursuit of money isn't bad, isn't greedy. Earning money isn't bad, isn't greedy. So I said I move on from money blocks, but it is one of those I think a lot of people don't realize that they have them or they just take it as as read. This is just the way they think about it. But I think they're worth exploring. It's worth thinking about. It's worth digging into the reasons why you you think this way and how that might be impacting your membership and your business and your life. Again, I did tell you this would be an odd episode. It's perhaps an episode unlike any other that I've done because it is just me just sitting, giving my giving my thoughts on on money. And it's a strange topic to be to be talking about. It's a one that a lot of us don't talk to our peers about. We don't talk to friends and family about so much. You can often be quite private about money. Um, unless you're an online marketer, in which case <laughs> a lot of them are not private about how much money they make. But um, yeah, that's a that's a whole other thing. And that's that's definitely something that we need to talk about as well. The people who, you know, constantly post on social media. First of all, it's okay to make money and make lots of money and not post about it on social media. Like It's okay to be successful and not constantly telling people on social media you're successful. <laughs> We've always had this mantra of succeed in silence. Um, there was a quote, there was a saying that I saw that was similar to that years ago that I thought just perfectly encapsulated my mindset around um, you know not having to brag, not having to flaunt every little win, every success. Um, and it wasn't succeed in silence, but I, I tend to say that. It's something like success doesn't shout or wealth doesn't, uh, money talks, wealth whispers, something like something like that, right? The point is just, oh, dude, if you're doing well, you're making money, like you don't have to brag about it on social media all the time. <laughs> so if you're worried about people, what people might say or think about the fact you're doing well for yourself, the fact your membership's successful and you're making money, then if, people, if you're not bragging about it, if you're not shouting from the rooftops for every dollar that you make, then no one's going to say or think anything because you're not giving them the context in which 
the amount of money you make would even come into their world, right? People are only going to comment on, you know, on how much money you're making if you start that conversation, right? If you give them the the context to to moan or to gripe about, you know, oh, how disgusting it is that you're bragging about money. Now, if you want to, if if you want to, all power to you. As long as you're honest and authentic, you know, if you want to post screenshots of how much money you're making this month and you've got your reasons for doing it and, you know, you just, you're pleased with it and you want to share that with other people, with your audience, or you want to show other people that it's possible, then more power to you. Just do it with, do it with integrity, right? Don't lie. Don't doctor your screenshots. Don't crop so tightly as to remove context. You see people doing that. But if you are worried about what people might say and think about, you know, the money you're making, if people are going to think you're greedy, if people are going to think, you know, it's a pandemic, why are they talking about money? It's okay. It's okay to make a lot of money and be very successful and not brag about it on social media. I always have in mind two companies um, in particular. One is a company started by a friend. It's a chemicals distribution company. They're essentially a middleman um, for people who need to buy chemicals so all sorts of people need to buy all sorts of chemicals for all sorts of reasons this is a multi-million dollar company not a single one of you listening will know who the ceo the managing director of this company is because he doesn't he doesn't have, i think he's got social media accounts but he's not posting his paypal balance or his bank balance on weekends multi-million pound company it actually it hit multi-seven figures um in its first year it just skyrocketed but, you know, they didn't rush off to get a feature in Entrepreneur Magazine. They're not posting income reports. They're just getting on with it. It's just business. Here in the UK, you know, having a, a seven-figure business. Actually, let me reframe this because this is this is something that always tickles me. Most of the, the huge successes online in the online space, the online influencers, the big names who will talk about how much money they make, they post their income reports where they break down every dollar and all that sort of stuff. They're loaded within the online business space as these, you know, these gods of online business and all the money they make. Under any categorization, certainly in the UK, I believe in the US, most of these people, they are considered micro businesses, as in a special sub-level of business size. I'm pretty sure... I can't remember if the cutoff between a micro business and a small business in the UK is either 10 million a year in revenue or 100 million a year in revenue. I think it might be 10. They're micro businesses. So the people who are considered within the online business space, the people who are considered the biggest, most successful, most insanely successful businesses, in the bigger picture, they are considered micro businesses. They are down down there with the rest of us but you know they're not they're not like the most successful businesses in the world they're not even within throwing distance of those guys so again it's just it's just all about context and it just highlights how silly a lot of this grandstanding and showboarding can be um and how easily we can let other people um or our perspective on other people when it comes to money, when it comes to success, um, 
how the lens that we choose to view it through can really, really skew things a lot. So yeah, just just a random aside. So again, when we're talking about not needing to constantly post, you don't have to you don't have to post your bank balance or your income report every week. And most successful companies aren't doing this. Again, my friend with the chemical distribution company, you're not going to know who he is. Because of course he, of course, like he's, he's running a business. He's not taking screenshots of how much money they made that month. It's just, why would he? It's not even something he'd ever, ever contemplate. And there's one particular company I remember back when I was very first freelancing in the mid 2000s, um, who I worked with, who they were kind of a hundred million uh, dollars or pounds actually a year company they designed and manufactured windows for prisons as niche as it gets but of course when you think about it prisons and, and other kind of detention facilities they can't just have regular windows like you and i will have in our houses because people will get out they'll smash the glass they might do all sorts of things that you wouldn't want people who are incarcerated to be able to do and so you need a very specific type of design you need very specific materials manufactured it's real niche real specific they make yeah like nine figures a year you would not know the name of the company you would walk past the managing director and not blink he doesn't have a blog he doesn't have a podcast he doesn't tweet about how much you know they got in their last product launch because they just don't do that you know so anyway this is the whole point of this i think when it comes to the discussion about money is context and making sure we don't get sucked into that toxic act of comparisonitis about seeing all of these huge successful micro businesses (laughs) who are all over your social media channels talking about how much money they made, how successful they are, and all of that sort of stuff. Usually these people, their business is based around helping other people make money. So they make money helping others make money. And so bragging about how much money they have is is kind of par for the course of how they, they market and position themselves. But when you put things into context, when you think about... You know, the company that makes windows for prisons, which makes 10 times more than the biggest, you know, the biggest name in internet marketing per year. And it's just what they do. And they're not, you know, they're not keynoting events around the world. They're not bragging about how much money they're making all the time. We just need context. Sometimes we need that reality check. And I think having that context and and thinking about things through this lens instead of the lens and the framing that um, the online world can sometimes push you into i think that can snap you out that comparisonitis because if you're thinking yeah i'll never make as much money as they do i'll never be as successful as they are then that becomes a limiting belief that becomes a money block and that can hold you off from from your potential too so again just worth keeping this in mind. And also the people you do see who, you know, insist on telling you how much money they make all the time, they're talking about their gross income. They're not talking about margin. They're not talking about net profit. They're not telling you how much is left. 
you know, anyone can spend £9,999,999 or dollars to make £10 million. Anyone, like an idiot, could do that. So, you know, again, it's all about the full story. It's all about getting that context. Um, and, yeah, it's all important for avoiding that comparisonitis, particularly when it comes to the people who are telling you about money. How do you tell if an online business coach is making seven figures? You don't, they tell you, right? Like, <laughs> it's just how it is in the online world. So you always have to consider the lens that you're seeing things through. You never see that full story. Someone might be talking about the huge launch that they had for their membership or their course and how much they made this week. Oh my God, I was away on holiday and then I, you know, I did a launch. This seems to be the new thing, by the way. I launched when I was on holiday. I launched when I was on holiday and made $300,000 in sales. I launched and I made $2.5 million. Great. What about the other days? What about the other times? If we extend that window, what does that look like? How much of that did you keep? How much went to your affiliates? And by the way, most of the people who are selling $2,000 courses, 50% is going to their affiliates. All those people who, you know, sent you an email and said, oh, hey, my bestie, my BFF is doing this great free workshop that you should go and sign up for. You're going to sign up for that free thing that ultimately leads to you buying that not free thing generates the initial referrer of 50% usually on the $2,000 course launches. It's actually cliche within the online business world, the $2,000 course model, 50% kickback, unless they're stingy, they might just give 40%. But again, you know, if someone's bragging about the million dollar course launch, all right, so that million dollars right away, lock that in half, that's half a million because you paid out in affiliates. 25% refund rate is quite often the case with those big $2,000 courses. So again, take a quarter off that 500, you're left with 375. Of that, let's take out the 200 that you spent on Facebook ads. So you're left with your 175. And that's, you know, it's still a good day at the office. But if you've just launched once this year, there's your 175, not even thinking of, of other costs or anything else like that. Some of that 175, it'll be people on payment plans. So actually a lot of those will cancel halfway through. So it's more likely it's it's 100. Still six figures, still for a lot of people, incredible. But it's a long way off, a long way off that million that they're bragging about. So you're never getting that full story. And again, I'm not saying this This isn't to denigrate people who, who are making that money or to say, huh, you're only making this amount of money or yeah, you suck because you're giving out 50% in affiliate revenue. This isn't passing judgment or saying any of the, the, the bits of the story are bad or wrong. It's just encouraging you to look deeper because so often the way in which other people choose to talk about money can impact the way in which you process decisions and thoughts about money and it can impact you negatively if you get at that place where you're comparing yourself to others as you said this is where those limiting beliefs this is where the comparisonitis this is where those money blocks can be generated if you're not anywhere near these people it can make it seem insurmountable and that could actually hold you back in your potential to do more so you need to choose that lens right 
control the lens, dig deeper, get into that fuller story. Something else that's really, really worth pointing out as well is that the membership model is kind of quirky, right? So shifting gears a little bit, again, this is a a weirdly structured formatted episode, but hopefully you're enjoying uh, my stream of consciousness about Muddy so far. Um, The membership model is odd. The membership model is quirky. Because we're dealing with recurring revenue, we're dealing with subscriptions, where every sale that you get is typically a low-value transaction if you just look at the first payment someone makes on the day they sign up. So each transaction is relatively small value. And your membership business is centered around having a lot of people paying you a relatively small amount and continuing to pay you that regularly over a long period of time. And that creates a a different situation financially. When you're looking at the numbers, you're looking at the money. Because you don't tend to have those peaks and troughs. It's not like with a $2,000 course or, you know, a, a new piece of software that you bring out where you you release it, you do a big promotion around its release, you get a huge spike in revenue that then goes down, it subsides until the next thing that you're putting out there to sell. And so, you know, one month you might be up, the next you might be down, the next you might be down again, and then you bring something else out and you're up and it's up and it's down and something is down. Or if you're selling time for money, you're selling services, you run an agency, you're a freelancer, where you know the, the number of clients you take on will be limited by the time you have available. Uh, the amount of, of money you can earn, again, really is related to how many hours you can grind out. And some of it's seasonal, you know. Some clients might be more willing to invest in projects at the start of the tax year or the end of the tax year. If you're a fitness instructor, you might have a massive demand in January when, you know, New Year's resolutions kick in. But perhaps in the summer when people are out there and they're, you know, going for walks or they're cycling and they're exercising of their own volition, maybe your demand subsides. So other industries, this is all to say other industries are a lot, more volatile, a lot more unpredictable, a lot less even than the membership model is when it comes to the money. Memberships are all about that slow, steady, incremental growth. And the revenue that you're getting, the members that you have, the whole idea is if you're doing it well, it's compounding over time. So it's building little by little by little by little. Unless your churn is huge or your sales are small, Generally, with every month, the amount of revenue you receive that month from your subscribers should be increasing a little bit at a time. And the fact it's going up a little bit at the time, it's not going from one month you're making, you know, $1,000 a month, and then next month it jumps up to 10, and then next month it jumps up to, you know, 100,000, and then the month after it drops down to 50. You just don't get that just by the nature of the membership model. So you're rarely blown away by any individual month's numbers. You're rarely going to look at that and say, wow, we doubled we doubled our revenue over last month. It's just that little extra, oh great, we, you know, we make $1,000 a month more now than we did before. Because the idea is you'll have that slow and steady and it goes up and up and up. What this means is quite often every quarter is your best quarter, every month is your best month. And that can that can 
take you to an odd place where you just become complacent and you don't celebrate growth quite as much because that growth is slow and steady. It's like the turtle versus the hare. You're not getting excited watching the turtle. It's quite it, boring is probably not a word I should be using, but it, it honestly can be a little boring once you're in that place. And, and of course, memberships, once you're getting up and running, they can be a little more volatile. Um, you know, it can take a little bit before you you find your pace and you settle into that place where every month you bring in more members than you lose, which is always what you should be striving for. And so month by month, if you just look at how much subscription revenue you've made in that month, month to month, it'll be going up a little bit at a time. Some months might be a little bit higher than others. Um, so perhaps, you know, maybe one month in the year, you got a lot of annual signups. And so next year, you get that little extra spike. But broadly speaking, if you plot out the line of your revenue on a graph, it'll be that slow, incremental, steady increases. And so this really uh, was kind of brought back to the 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 forefront of my mind just the other day when uh, uh, someone who I follow on social, I couldn't for the life of me remember who it was, um, posted just a little picture, a glass of bubbly um, with a caption just saying, we're celebrating our best quarter ever in quarter one of 2021. So proud. Posts like that, you know, when we're talking about people bragging about how how much money they're making, those aren't the kind of posts I'm talking about. Absolutely celebrate your wins. Celebrate the stuff that you're proud of. And so that post, I looked at it and it was like, great. It's awesome to see someone celebrating the best quarter ever in their business while we're in a pandemic. And then, of course, I'm like, well, quarter one was our best quarter too. Best quarter we've ever had. But then quarter four of 2020 was our best quarter. Quarter three of 2020 was our best quarter at that point. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. When every quarter is your best quarter, you're kind of, you're not celebrating it. Because, again, the difference from quarter to quarter, you know, you're not talking quarter one, we were at 20,000 a month. Quarter two, wow, we went up to half a million. Quarter three, we're down to 100,000. You're not having those ups and downs. And so you're not always necessarily recognizing every month's your best month, every month's your best quarter, every quarter's your best quarter, but it's often by such an unexciting, unsexy, uninteresting amount or degree that it doesn't jump out to you. And as a result, you don't celebrate it as much as you maybe should. You become complacent. You kind of take it for granted. So that's one big, big quirk, I think, of the membership world that I really just wanted to highlight again while we're talking about money is it's not the money side of memberships is relatively boring. It's unexciting. It's not it's not a roller coaster ride. And so we need to make sure that we don't get complacent. We don't take it for granted. We don't forget to celebrate. And so yeah, you might not then want to post every single quarter celebrating our best quarter for the 50th quarter in a row. Like you're not going to you're not going to do that. It'll get a little bit boring. But absolutely, you know, celebrating another year of, of of continued growth or you know great we we've had 30 percent year on year growth compared to last year woohoo you know that sort of stuff you maybe just widen the time frame to being a little bit more um you know uh, exciting or 
celebrating the 50th straight month of, of continued growth, like that sort of thing. So it's, it's finding the thing to celebrate about um, in what will actually be a pretty steady, unexciting, um, yeah, like unremarkable charting of of the revenue from your membership business i hope that makes sense and i don't i really do hope that doesn't sound too glib not every membership gets there but that's that is when you've kind of got the machine ticking that is what your membership should look like it's what the revenue should look like slow steady compounding incremental growth now if you have a closed door model where you um, close the doors and only open for new students three or four times during the year then you are going to have some spikes. But again, the, the trend should be upwards, you know? So yes, you might celebrate that this launch was bigger than the last one. But generally speaking, again, you're not going to be so, it's not going to be so wildly erratic, the, the amount of money, the amount of members that you make. And so it's still compared to other types of business models, probably a little, a little more boring. And boring is good in this context because it's, it's good and it's sold and it's steady. And the great thing with memberships, you're not at any point, you're not starting from zero. The sales that you brought in two, three months ago are continuing to compound. They're continuing to pay those dividends month to month, year and year. So boring is not bad, but we have to make sure that um, we don't allow ourselves to forget that slow, steady growth is a positive. Slow, steady growth is worth celebrating, it's worth remarking on. And it is very, very easy to forget that um, from time to time. So again, that's just something that kind of tickled me when I, I realized that and was one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode just talking about money because, you know, that kind of triggered the bigger thinking about how in the membership world, um, the mindset around money and how we just perceive all this stuff is, uh, is strange. And again, that's, I think that's a key word, is perception. Perception is such a big, big factor in all of this. You know, some of the numbers I've been throwing around this episode, you know, where we're talking about seven-figure memberships to a lot of people being so far removed from where they are. Some people will be listening to this and thinking, ah, really? Seven figures just doesn't seem all that exciting to me anymore. I've had a seven-figure membership for five, six years. It's all perception. It's all individual. But hopefully having the conversation or just sharing my thoughts on it and we are a successful membership we have generated millions of dollars in revenue we've enjoyed continued growth year on year on year on year but at the same time this didn't happen overnight we were very much in the place where we weren't anywhere close to seven figures where actually starting out the academy had we hit a ceiling of $5,000 a month, I think, five or $6,000 a month, if we'd hit that ceiling, we probably would have been all right with that. We didn't have any grand expectations beyond that because we were starting so small. We'd been working in our agency with clients one-on-one. -on -one. We had a small select group of clients who we were heavily involved in. And the plan when we started the academy, we talked about this on the show before, was to run the academy alongside our agency. And, you know, we didn't foresee the academy growing the way that it did. We didn't foresee our audience growing, the reach of this podcast, having millions of downloads and, you know, charting as high as it often does. 
we didn't see any of that because that just wasn't the world either myself or Callie were from. You want to know a little more of the world we were from, you can check out themembershipguys.com slash 300 where we talked a bit more about our personal backgrounds. We weren't from that world. We just weren't. Again, I said I came from a, a, a poor, we call it a council estate. I think it's in like the US, it's referred to as social housing. And I grew up in social housing, single parent family, young young um parent family as well so you know didn't have big jobs family had no money um that didn't really change much um hasn't really changed much even even now as far as as far as family goes you know it's not like we won the lottery at any point it's not like everyone in my family is now running successful six and seven figure membership sites because they've been listening to the show they don't listen to the show they had 18 years of listening to my nonsense. They don't listen to it anymore. So, you know, that that changes your approach. It it skews your approach and it definitely did uh, for us starting out the membership. And had we only ever got to the point where we were making $5,000 a month and that meant we could work a little bit less within the agency, we could just have two or three key clients, we'd have been fine with that. We'd have been happy with that. So... It is all just, I think it's about the frame of reference. I think it's about just changing the perspectives on money, removing those limited beliefs, removing those money blocks. And that perspective on money definitely does change as you grow. I think when you first start out, you're a lot more, you're caring a lot more about the pennies than the pounds. You often start out in in scramble mode, right? So you want to, you want to save money wherever you can. You know, we say this all the time. I, I really want to use this plugin for my membership. I really want to, you know, pay a virtual assistant, but um, I, I, I want a cheaper option for now. And then later on, we'll invest. And that that is really, really symptomatic of, of being at that earlier stage and having a different perspective on money, right? Sometimes it's out of your control. You don't have money, you don't have money. You shouldn't be going into debt. You shouldn't be putting stuff on, you know, high interest credit cards just so you can buy the plugin that your favorite guru tells you you absolutely need or to buy that $2,000 course that you absolutely don't need. But that mode, that scrambling, penny pinching, um, you know, worried about investing money, that's where most people start out at. But that changes over the years. You realize that when you buy cheap, you end up buying twice. And so you start to recognize the value of investing money. In those early days, certainly for us, we were all about essentially accumulating as much money as we could. So that wasn't, you know, what I mean by that. I don't mean pursuing sales at any cost, but we wanted to hang on to as much of our money as we could to build up that resource, right? So that we, you know, we judged our success by how much was sitting in the bank account. But you reach a point in your business that you realize that that's backwards thinking, that there is little value in just accumulating a big old pile of money. It's really pointless because you get to that point where you just can't take that money out because it's just, you're going to lose so much in tax. You're going to be penalized so hard for taking too much money out past a certain point. And so it sits there in your business and 
you either have to make the decision of letting it sit there, losing value because of inflation, or reinvest it back into the business. I remember a conversation with a client, again, this is, man, eight, nine, ten years ago, where they were saying, you know, the biggest struggle in my business right now is I'm really struggling to find ways to bring my profit margin down. And myself and Callie burst out laughing like, man, you are crazy. Why do you want to bring your profit margin down? That is insane. That is insane. But then you reach a point as your business scales where you realize that is actually what you need to do because there is no value being generated from just having money accumulating in your bank account by just hanging on to your money. Again, we talk about money as a tool, as a resource. Money makes things possible. For us, certainly, and I, I know for a fact, having spoken to other people, that there are other people who have that mindset, particularly when you're a little earlier in your journey and you're making this money where you are just seeing that bank account balance getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger it gets, the more successful you feel you're being. That is your marker of success. You want to get to, man, we've got six figures in the bank account for the very first time. That's incredible. Man, we've got half a million in the bank account. We've got a million in the bank account. That money should be getting put to work. Money is a resource, but time is also a resource. If you're money rich and time poor, you can use some of that money to literally buy the time back. You can hire staff. You can bring on people full time. You can pay them to probably do a better job at key parts of your business than you're doing. There's such little point in accumulating big, big piles of money. And so this idea of just... We need to make as much as we can, hang on to as much as we can, keep costs down and have high margins. We used to be so, so proud of the fact that our, our business was generally, usually would sit around 93, 94% margin, profit margin, pre-tax. But you realize it's just a fallacy because you get taxed on those profits, first and foremost, when they're in your business. If you then want to take any of that profit and pay yourself more, well, you get taxed on that again. And then, you know, the stuff you buy with that money, you get taxed again with VAT. So <laughs> you could put money that is accumulating, that resource that you're building up to use. You can put it to work. And if you've, you know, reached that point where it just doesn't make any financial sense for you to pay yourself any more than you're paying yourself, either because you just don't need that money or because you've reached kind of a tax bracket, a tax threshold, where taking money out means that you give up half of it. It goes to the government. Actually, could you make better use of that money to drive the growth of your business? Could you essentially hire people so you're giving people jobs, you're changing their lives, their worlds, you're putting money in their pocket. Could you hire people to do work in your business that means you get to work less? There's something that James Schramko from Superfast Business um, is probably the only person I've ever seen talk about this. I think he came up with this idea of having an effective hourly rate. So what is your effective hourly rate? So for the money that the business generates, how much money does the business generate? And how many hours do you have to work in order for that money to be generated? That's your effective hourly rate. So 
if in a given month you make $100,000 and over the space of that month you work 200 hours, then that means that your effective hourly rate is $500 per hour. So your business output is $100,000 in profit. Your business input is 200 hours of your time. Even if you don't make a dollar more in your business, if you can get to a place by hiring other people, by investing in better systems, software, processes, that will make it so that you can generate $100,000 in profit for only 100 hours of your time instead of 200, you've doubled your effective hourly rate to $1,000 per hour. Every hour that you personally put into your business is worth $1,000. If you manage to do that, again, it's not just about making more money, but if you use the money you're accumulating, the money you generate to buy time, to buy your ability to not need to put as much in to get as much out, then essentially you're doubling your you're giving yourself a pay rise, right? If you go from needing to work 200 hours to make 100,000 to only needing to work half of that to make 100,000, that is essentially, it's almost, if you look at it this way, like you are 2Xing, you are doubling your, your business output because you're getting more out of what you're putting in. You're working less. So, the concept of an effective hourly rate, I think when you think about this and you actually put that dollar value on your time, then it's much easier to kind of understand the the, the worthwhile um, investment of any money you're accumulating. Instead of paying yourself more and taking more out per month, pay yourself the same, but for doing less work right? That's how it ends up. That's basically the same as a pay rise. Because if you did do 200 hours, then in theory, you should make $200,000. So, you know, thinking of things this way, just changing that perspective, thinking about things like your effective hourly rate. And if you've hit that point where you cannot pay yourself more money for the work that you're doing, then reducing the work that you have to do, but taking the same money out is basically giving yourself a pay rise. You're just changing the balance between input and output. And this is something that I think is particularly relevant, particularly important when it comes to thinking about where are you going with all of this? Where do you want the growth of your business? And by growth, we are generally meaning the amount of money your business makes. Where are you going with it? What's the end goal? Some people, their end goal, their exit plan is um, is acquisition, in which case that's a whole other kind of conversation. But some people, you know, they want a seven-figure business. Some people, if they get to that seven figures, then their, their plan is we just keep growing it. We just keep pushing it and pushing it, making more money, more money, more money, turn the seven-figure business to an eight-figure business, to a nine-figure business, and so on. But... A lot of people who have been through that scaling process, who've taken companies from nothing to a million, two million, 10 million, 20 million, 100 million, 
there's a lot of experiences and advice out there that suggests that there is a sweet spot. There is a point at around one to two million in annual revenue where the amount of work you need to put into scale versus the amount that you scale, the input and the output, where it changes drastically. So this idea that for a lifestyle business or a business where you know you you've got the high margin, you've got the ability to essentially pay yourself as much as you want to, and then start perhaps um, you know investing that money in removing how much time you as the the main driving force need to spend. That kind of lifestyle business and lifestyle business, I think, is a term that often gets used. Um, almost disrespectfully but you know if you've got a business that's making a million dollars that can you know it's a profitable lifestyle business it's just one hell of a lifestyle but it's that sweet spot that a lot of these people who've been through that high growth scaling process talk about where once you get to that one one and a half million amount growing further requires exponential amounts of additional effort and so all of a sudden the balance swings massively and getting from 2 million a year to 10 million takes so much more effort than you might think it's not just a case of growing steadily of scaling and all that sort of stuff the amount of extra work you need to put in is exponential the amount of extra people you need to hire is so much more and it scales up at such a steeper rate than it maybe has done in your journey up to that one to two million dollar mark your margin starts to really really disappear you might find yourself working 10 times more for just double the growth double the profit and so again this is where i think you need to decide what are you going for what do you want because you can get to that million two million that might be for you personally, if you're just looking at yourself, how much money you make, um, what your lifestyle is like, one to two million, you you don't need more than that. That's kind of the right at the top of the mountain for what someone whose main priority is funding their lifestyle, making enough money, feeling safe, secure, having a business they're proud of. One to two million, you not you don't need more than that. If you want more than that, there's almost like the evidence really that you see from a lot of, of people who've been through that it's almost like you don't you don't decide okay we get to one one and a half million dollars a year in annual revenue then the next goal is three then it's four then it's five you either decide that you're going to be you're going to be good at that one to two range or you're going to go all in and push for 10 for 20 for 30 do you know what i mean it's like it, it, it seems that you have that sweet spot where if you want to go beyond it, you need to decide you are going huge. You're not just going for a little bit bigger. You don't, you're not just trying to scale it a little bit more, a little bit more. If you want to push beyond that sweet spot, you need to recognize that, right, this is where we go massive. We are not shooting to go take our business from 2 million a year revenue to 3 million. We're shooting to take it from 2 million to 30 million. Now, mileage is going to vary on this. There'll be some people sitting making $3 million a year thinking, yeah, I didn't have that. Well, of course, because, you know, 
everyone's different, every situation's different. But broadly, generally speaking, this is something that a lot of people who've been through this journey all kind of say the same thing about. Some might say it's it's 700 to a million marks, some will say it's the two to three, but the idea that there is a sweet spot at which at which a lifestyle business reaches its apex and for which any growth beyond that requires not just doubling down, it requires 10xing down. And you have to put in a lot more work, a lot more effort, a lot more resource, a lot more dedication for fewer or slower gains, more marginal gains than you may be accustomed to. So you need to make that decision. What are you shooting for? If the most your business could ever make is $1 million a year, would you be happy with that? Knowing that at that point, you're going to be paying yourself well, you can afford to hire a team and you know have the best of what you need to run the business efficiently so you don't need to be grinding you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Would you be good with that? Or are you going for the empire? Are you shooting for 20, for 30, for 40? It's a different mindset. It's a different journey. It's a different different balance between inputs and outputs. I like to crunch everything down in business or in everything to inputs and outputs. I love memberships because the output uh, is usually substantially more than the input. I can spend an hour creating a piece of content and that can help hundreds of people who then go and refer dozens of extra people which makes me x amount of extra money for one hour of my time or it convinces those hundred people to stick around for another month so i get an extra month of their membership because i've i've kind of earned it because i've helped them the input and the output in the membership is the appeal of it it's one to many the time you're putting into it the input compared to what you get out of it the people you reach, the people you serve, how it affects your revenue, how it affects the amount of people you bring in and what that means financially. But that changes, that switches once you reach a certain point. So again, there's no right or wrong. It's just something I don't think too many people think about. Again, James Ramco has got a great book, uh, Work Less, Make More. I think it's Work Less, Make More, Work Less, Earn More. Um, It's a short book, very to the point, just like James it does, there's no fluff, there's no filler with uh, James Ramco. So check out that book. Again, the whole content of the effective hourly rate and just be more mindful of the inputs and the outputs from a financial perspective and from a time perspective. is well worth doing. It's something people don't do enough. All right, I'm going to wrap things up there again. As I said, I warned you at the top of this, this would be an unusual episode and it's certainly been one of the lengthier episodes that we've done on the show. I hope that you've taken something from this it is it's something people don't talk about enough you might have sat there thinking yeah the thing i've took away is mike talks nonsense um but (laughs) hopefully that's not the case not everything i talked about is going to resonate with all of you listening and that's just how it is again we talked about particular things like money blocks your mentality your mindset around the money side of things is so dependent on your environment on you personally, on your past experiences, on your upbringing. Money might be the most comfortable thing in the world for you to talk about, to think about. You might not agree with everything that I say about the way in which people talk about money, brag about it, show it off. But hopefully 
some of this has um, shed some light on stuff you've not spent too much time thinking about. Maybe it's reassured you. Maybe it's given you a little kick up the butt to break through some of those money blocks and stop that negative self-talk and those limiting beliefs to realize the things that you just don't even, they just don't even enter your radar because you don't see certain levels of growth or revenue as something that is possible for someone like you or someone from your background or, you know, someone who is in a place in their journey where you currently are. I hope that this has helped break through some of that for you. And if nothing else, I hope it's at least entertained you to get a little bit of a glimpse into uh, my thought process and, you know, some of the ways that I personally perceive money, my relationship with money, how that's changed over the years and stuff like that. So I'm going to stop now. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, it, this wasn't intended to be quite as long, but I've I've kind of enjoyed just riffing on this subject and I hope... Uh, you've enjoyed it too. I hope you found it useful. I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts on this episode. I would love to hear your feedback on this one particularly. I say it all the time, but this one especially, because it is uh, a topic I don't think I've ever discussed on the show before. It's one that's not always easy to talk about. It's one that's not always something people want to hear. But I would love to hear your thoughts Please do connect with me on social. You'll find me on Twitter at MembershipGuys. On Instagram at MembershipGuy, singular, because Callie's got her own thing going on on Instagram. She doesn't like me <laughs> being in the mix with that. So that's at MembershipGuy on Instagram. Or if you're in our free Facebook group, you can hit me up in there. Uh, you can find the Facebook group by searching Membership Mastermind on Facebook or by going to TalkMemberships.com. That's talk, as in talk to each other memberships.com that url will redirect you to the group and you can join in with uh over probably around twenty thousand people in there now but we always post about each episode in there so let me know your thoughts let me know what resonates let me know if you agree disagree if you found your perspective on money changing over the years i'd love 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 to hear your feedback i'm gonna go now because my voice is getting hoarse because i've been talking almost non-stop for 80 minutes but i hope it's been worthwhile thanks so much for listening to today's episode and i hope i'll see you again next week for another installment of the membership guys podcast if you enjoyed this week's episode of the membership guys podcast we invite you to check out membershipacademy.com the Membership Academy is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing and running a membership website. Whether you're still trying to figure out what your idea is going to be or whether your website's already up and running and you're just looking for ways to grow it and attract new members, then the Membership Academy can help you to get to the next level. With our extensive course library, step-by-step -step membership roadmap, exclusive member-only discount perks and tools, as well as our supportive, active community that will help you along the way with feedback, encouragement and advice, the Membership Academy is the perfect place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow a successful membership business. Check it out at membershipacademy.com.